0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Contagious Voice, a.k.a. The Time Traveler's Guide to Dragon Riding. I'm your host, Jason Morris, and coming to you today with another episode. So, the last time I talked to you, I told you the, the uh, I'll say, the rather embarrassing low of my life. I think that probably was, if not the lowest, one of the lowest points in my life. And that was being being saved from... From essentially suicide by a starving ferret of all things. Uh now I find it kind of comical. And in fact, after I had that that rather absurd pattern interrupt, I, I could only laugh at how how goofy the whole thing was, in that uh, you know, I had just allowed myself to sink into despondency over things not going my way, essentially. You know, boo hoo, it didn't work out. But, you know, when I got my perspective right, I realized that I had learned some spectacular skills that I never would have learned any other way in such a bizarre set of circumstances that it just seemed like it was it was something that was predestined to happen. And I'm not really sure whether or not I believe in destiny or anything like that, other than that if you just leave yourself open for opportunity and uh, say yes to things that come your way you'll be surprised at how often stuff works out in your favor. So what I needed to do and what I decided to do was figure out how to make everything work in my favor. And what had happened, the positive that had come out of that entire thing is I had actually gained a really unique item for my resume. Not many people my age could say that they had been a public speaker uh, or a recruiter, or anything along those lines. Uh, and the other thing is, is I realized I actually had some some kind of natural ability, I don't know necessarily of closing, but engaging people in a, uh, in a relationship through means other than, uh, you know, in a party or something like that. It still wasn't the best in social situations, but if you put me in front of the room where there was kind of this, uh, authority role that I was playing. I was very good at it. And, uh, also being on the phone where there was the phone in between me and looking the other person in the eye. So there was never the, the, the feeling of, of physical anxiety that I had felt that had, had uh, been responsible for clamming me up all of those years. Uh, but you put me on the phone and I was golden. And I realized that I, you know, I actually had a skill set. And that was sales. Uh, It was not something that I ever thought to go into. Uh, It was something that I I kind of held in, I I suppose, disdain. I don't know where that actually came from because I didn't really have any experience with salespeople, but it was never something that I wanted to do. And now that I had a taste of uh, engaging people and activating their imagination and uh, getting them to follow their, let's say, their, their heart's desire, um, that might sound a corny way to put it, but in, in stirring up hope and, and sending people in the direction of what they, they dearly want, uh, that, that, was, that was a little bit like a drug for me. Uh, you know, I became addicted to the feeling of, of being able to do that, being able to help people set themselves free and follow their, their, uh, their dreams, so to speak. Uh, that I went after that topic with a vengeance. And it was just, for me, from then on out, it was book after book after book after book after training after book of personal development, of sales, of marketing, of persuasion, of influence. Uh, And I got into mentalism and hypnosis and... Anything and everything that had to do with how and why we make decisions and how to stir the soul. Uh, that was that, that was something that I just craved constantly. And I got to the point where I was reading a book or two a week. and now, I mean f- like fast forward 30 years having done this, uh, thanks to the technology that we have with things like audible and, and podcasts and so forth, I'll pick up I'll pick up a book on audible and I'll punch the playback speed up to like two or three times the normal playback speed. So now I can read a book in two or three times the the time that it would have taken me before. So uh, I can actually repeat it. So I'll take one book and I'll read it two or three times and I get something more out of it each time I go through it because the first time you're just trying to gain a gist or a general understanding. Then, once you have a general understanding, you pick up a lot of the early points that were made while you were still trying to gain the direction of the book. Now you understand, and you can go back and you can look at it with new eyes, or in my case, listen listen to it with new ears and pick up subtle distinctions and nuances that you know that, that weren't there before. So this was just something that I did, I, you know, from the age of my early twenties. Now I'm uh, as I'm as I'm recording this, I'm 48 years old, and I've been doing it ever since. So. You know, I've been through just hundreds of books on topics like neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis and mentalism and, and uh, uh, cognitive psychology and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. I mean, it, you know, anything you can think of that has to do with the brain and behavior, I've read it. Uh, it so I you know, really just dug deep on this skill set, and with that skill set came access to a career. And I started pursuing, I started pursuing jobs in sales and marketing. And uh, because of this obsession with the topic in every, actually, without exception, every situation I came in as a frontline salesperson. And within a matter of months, I ended up running a team every single time because I could, not only could I sell, but I knew why I could sell. I knew how to sell. Like I knew what the techniques were. And because I was so steeped in this knowledge, I could teach it. And so that was where I got the idea that, you know, hey, one day I would really love to teach this stuff because it's so powerful, not only for, you know, I mean, yeah, you can get a job as a used car salesman and, and, um, and, and make a good living that way if you knew the techniques, but If you really think about it, there's very little that we do that doesn't require human interaction. And if it requires interaction, it requires influence. Why speak if not to influence the other person to your point of view? And why communicate if not to communicate clearly? Wouldn't it be nice if you can just download your thoughts and beliefs and convictions into another person and have them see and feel as you do. And that in its essence is what I teach. Is how to grab the attention and hold it and then inform in such a way that it's entertaining and it's engaging and it plants the seeds of thoughts that weren't there already and actually changes people's minds. And in changing their minds, it changed their beliefs. And when you change their beliefs, you change the way that they act. And if you change the way they act, you change the shape of their future. Pure and simple. And while it's different for everybody, I believe that we all have our own calling—that special set of skills or gifts that either just fortune or fate or what have you uh, has seen to it that you have. That is my gift, and you know. To circle back to the title of this podcast, the secondary title, uh, "The Time Traveler's Guide to Dragon Riding," for me. When I am completely engrossed and thoroughly engaged and performing that particular service or task or action, whatever you want to call that, and I've lost touch with everything else, and it's just me and the thread of the conversation and the finger on the pulse of the audience and being totally attuned to what other people are thinking and feeling and how they're responding to me so that I can ride the conversation and take it to where it needs to go and the past and the future don't play into it and I'm there with every fiber of my being in that moment with total disregard and abandon. For me, that is riding the dragon. And again, everybody has their dragon. Some people are thoroughly engrossed in fixing an engine. Some people ride a horse as if the horse's legs are their own. Some people fly planes as though they are birds. Some people run and some people jump and some people sing and some people play the piano. And some people garden. And they lose themselves where everything else disappears and it is them performing the task that they feel called to do at the highest possible level with the most possible at at stake and in service of the largest number of people. That is when you're perched on the top of the dragon. And I think that's really what this is about, is that if you can find clarity and you can find your voice and more importantly, find the voice that's calling to you and align with the voice that is calling to you so that the voice that is coming out of you is in sync with the call that you are hearing. So it passes through you, you become a conduit. So that voice, no matter where it comes from, can pass through you and into the world unfiltered and undisturbed and unrestrained and pure So that other people can hear it or at least catch a glimpse of it the way that you hear it and the way that you feel it. And when you are in the presence of someone riding the dragon, you can tell every single one of us has been in a concert, let's say. And the person on stage is captivating and utterly lost in the performance of their art. And they just take you with them on a journey to where as their soul is soaring in song, you soar right along with them. And it brings tears to your eyes because the view from the vantage point at which they see the world is astounding. It's full of sight and sound and color and beauty that you would have never been able to imagine without going on that ride with them and that's riding the dragon and there is nothing more beautiful more joyful than being in the moment and seeing the world from that place and there's nothing more painful than when you fall so the last time I was with you I talked to you about the first time I rode the dragon and the first time I fell off and it can be an ugly, scary, brutal thing and some people don't live through it. But because I realized what had happened and I got a taste for it and I wanted nothing more than to have that feeling again. I became obsessed and that is where my I think I truly got on the path. So, when I'm talking to you today, and I am picking my words, I am trying as hard as I can to give you a sense of this, or at least remind you that at some point you have had a taste, and you know what it feels like, and I truly believe, and I could be wrong, but for me anyway, it feels true that you know that search for happiness that drive that we all have inside of us it starts with that it starts with being able to listen listen so carefully to what your insides are telling you what the the you know that that voice that call is vibrating within you what is it saying what is it telling you you should do and it's not hard to hear if you tune out all the distractions but unfortunately you know all the the, uh, the social media and the, the podcasts like you're listening to right now, and the binge watching Netflix and the going to concerts and the video games and the constant distraction, the desire to constantly fill your mind with noise. Uh, at least for me, had you know when when I had lost lost touch with the call because i was so wrapped up in all of these other things that were serving to distract me because sometimes the voice was telling me things that i didn't want to hear sometimes i was sometimes it was pushing me to overcome fears that i had held kind of sacrosanct for for the longest time you know it was telling me i needed to go public speak but i had i had I, it was telling me i needed to do public speaking but I had such a, a a mixed experience that went from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low that, you know, quite honestly, it was something that I was terrified because, you know, the I, I learned what it feels like when you fall from that far. And then, of course, you start telling yourself stuff. You know, you start telling yourself things of why you can't. You know, you start arguing and negotiating with the voice. You know, uh, and, and I'll just... I, I, I don't want to get too technical on this one, but there's something called negativity bias that we're born to. It's part of our survival DNA. You know, it's, it's part of our 2 million plus year old anatomy that keeps us alive. And that negativity bias basically is built in skepticism. And at the foundation of it, it works like this. If you were on the plains of the Serengeti and you, you had been walking for miles and miles and you were tired, and you saw a patch of tall grass that looked nice and cool. And inside the patch of tall grass, there was a big tan rock. And you thought, you know, it would be wonderful to just sit in the shade of that tall grass and sit on the rock. And negativity bias is that thing that tells you, no, better skirt wide of that tall grass. Because while that could be a rock, it could also be a, uh, it could also be a lion. And that negativity bias keeps us alive because those of our ancestors who went traipsing off into the tall grass and it was a lion, well, those guys ended up getting eaten. And so their DNA is no longer with us. And we've got the more skeptical of the crowd in our, in our ancestry. But for me, I can tell you how insidious that, um, you know, we'll call it the other voice you know, it's almost it's almost like the old story of having an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. You know, the angel is telling you all of the good that you can do. And the devil is telling you the other. You know, it's 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 whispering in your ear why it won't work and give, filling you with a doubt. And and so, for example, you know, I had thought for the longest time that I wanted to be a public speaker. Right. But then I looked at who was uh, who was successful. And public speaking. And this is where the negativity bias is just such a liar and it's crazy how this goes. So I'm going to I'll I'll, t- I'll tell you how this works. Um to all outward appearances, if you looked at me, you would see you know, I I'm I'm you know, come from a a, a, a a, a loving middle class family i grew up in a good home my parents are still married even in, even though they're approaching 80 years old uh you know we went to church we never wanted for money uh i've always had a strong profession i am 6 foot 4 i'm in good shape i have blonde hair i have blue eyes you know like my my facial features are are symmetrical and 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 most people that I know say I'm at at least above average attraction. Those are all things that people, uh, you know, that, that don't have those things. They, they say, ah, well, you know, if only I had this, if only I was taller, if only I was in better shape, if only I had, you know, blue eyes or whatever, if only, if only, if only I have all of this, the if only stuff. And here's how crazy the negativity bias is, is that when I looked at who was successful at public speaking, it was always either the person who had been burned in a horrible fire or was born without all their limbs or was blind or couldn't speak or who wrote a book by dictating Morse code through blinking or any of the just innumerable ways that someone can do an amazing thing and um, uh, surmount you know, basically insurmountable odds. And so the way I'm thinking about this is who is going to want to listen to me speak? I have all this good stuff. I came from from fortune, basically. Life handed me all of the best that anybody could want. You know, it would be so much easier. Now listen to this and listen to the irony of this. It would be so much easier for me to succeed at public speaking if I was missing a hand, or I had been caught in a wheat thresher, or I had been blinded by lightning or struck by a meteor. Or, geez, you know, why couldn't I have had just like some incident where there was some second or third degree burns, or been abandoned as a child or something like that? You know, it would make it so much easier for me to do Public speaking. In the meantime, someone on the other side of the spectrum is is saying the exact opposite. Oh, I can't. I can't be a public speaker because I'm not tall enough, or I'm not blonde enough, or I'm not, you know, I'm not fit enough, or what have you. Right? It's insidious. It will pick that voice will pick whatever it is that you are not and use that as the reason why you can't. It is simply because it prefers the status quo. It knows that you survived yesterday, and its best bed at keeping your DNA alive long enough to propagate is by doing the same thing yesterday or the same t- thing today as you did yesterday to keep you alive. It's not interested in your pleasure. It's interested in keeping you from pain and by way of extension, death. And that means that it's up to you and it's up to me. If we want to answer the call that I think is in everyone. If we want to ride the dragon, we have to be willing to let go of all of those nagging voices that tell us that we can't. And we have to climb up on its back, and we have to trust to faith, and grab hold and hold on, kick our heels and take off. And hope that we don't fall and just enjoy the, the ride, knowing that at some point we're going to come down because we always do. Ah, but the, the negativity bias, it is just, I, I, I mean, I remember, I remember before getting back up in front of people, you know, thinking, my God, who is going to want to talk to me? I don't even have the benefit of being a minority. I mean, how stupid is that? How stupid is that? All of these things that I have, all of the things that people wish for, and those are the reasons that I think I can't. So what I have come to realize is that no matter who you are, you can, but only if you believe it. No matter what you have, you can, but only if you believe it no matter what you feel you lack, you can as long as you believe it. And no matter what you have, if you don't believe it, there is no amount of having that is going to make you believe and if you don't believe, you can't do. So I choose to believe. And I started to look at, all right, well, what do I have? What are people really interested in? And what they're interested in is not necessarily the novelty of the tragic experience they crave authentic life story they crave honesty they crave transparency they crave knowing that there's someone else out there that at least for a little while has felt the way they've felt and see things the way that they've seen things and I think inside of all of us, because we're all human, we, because, because at the, the beginning of it all, we come from the same roots. And we have these silly things like negati- negativity bias and status quo bias. And so we all share these similar hopes and dreams. And we all engage in the same struggle. And we're at different starting places. And we'll all finish in different places we'll all enter and exit the path at different places and have different experiences. But we're familiar with the desire to, to travel that path, to take the journey. And we're so interested in hearing how someone else is doing. Because if people don't talk about it, we don't know and we feel like we're alone. So when I get on stage, I share my journey for better or for worse. And when I really examine it, you know, I did have tragedy. I did have moments of pain. I did have moments of just awful blind terror. I did have moments of dejected loneliness. And I also had joy. And I knew love and sadness and loss and surprise and victory. Ah, uh, You know, all of these things, all of the grandest and greatest of emotions, I've had them all. And my gift is the courage to tell people. That's what I have. And that has to be enough because that's all I've got. (laughs) So I don't prepare. I don't take notes. I don't practice in front of a mirror. I just get up in front of people and I look people in the eye and I see where they're at and I try and meet them where they are and then slowly coax them up and take them by the hand and do my best to take them on a journey so they can see what I've seen and do what I've done, at least in their mind, and feel what I've felt. And I do that by feeling those things over and over and over again and letting them participate. Because I think there's nothing more engaging than being in the presence of someone who is fully engaged and fully congruent. And every fiber of their being is going back and re-experiencing the events that they're talking about. And having the courage to face it over and over and over again and share it. And I can tell you this, you know, they always say that a, a burden shared is halved. And, uh, you know, having done this for a while now, I can say that a burden shared with hundreds of people or thousands of people not only lightens the load, but allows you to fly. And I think that's where I'll end this episode. I appreciate you listening. As always, I wish you peace, and I wish you passion, and I wish you purpose, and I wish you presence on the path. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.